Today we're talking about uh, sustainable power, Acts chapter 2. As we're second week of this new series in the book of Acts uh, called The Beginning, because it is the beginning of this new movement originally called The Way that we see recorded in the book of Acts known as the church. And it is the beginning of something new. We know within this short time span, Jesus Christ went to his death. He was crucified. He was dead, buried, resurrected on the third day, met with many of his followers for several days afterwards. And then we see that they were given uh, the mission to go and make disciples. We see that at the end of Matthew chapter 28. Again, we'll come back to that and take a deeper look at that in a couple of weeks. Then we saw, as we looked at last week in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he gave the scope of that mission. That mission was to be carried out locally, right around the corner, or the four corners of the world, and everywhere in between. He told them Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, which we know to be kind of a localized, if we translate it to ourselves, kind of a localized version of that, all the way to the ends of the earth, and again, everywhere in between. We referenced... Uh, in, in brief last week a power source that was given to us and it wasn't just any power source it wasn't even a thing like the force if you will in Star Wars we said it is a person it is the third person of the Trinity the Holy Spirit who we know was at work even throughout the Old Testament in great and mighty ways we'll reference today Ezekiel chapter 37 we'll see uh, how the Holy Spirit was at work. But during this new stage of God's redemptive plan, this new covenant, God's Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, came to work in an all-new way. He came to dwell within the lives of believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He came to dwell within our lives. He, and came, to, he came to empower us for the mission that was given. He came to challenge us. He came to encourage us. He came to be our helper. So today we'll look specifically at the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And when we think about sustainable power, uh, sustainable energy, sustainable power is a major topic in our world today because um, depending upon who you speak to and which expert you look at, we're in various stages of what they believe to be an energy crisis. And so companies all over the world are looking for sustainable methods of power. And maybe you've seen one of the most popular, or we got a picture of this, maybe you've seen this down in uh, southern Kansas, if you're driving on I-35, uh, we actually went down to Tulsa this weekend and realized they put up a whole new bunch of those in kind of the south central part of Kansas. There's a bunch, western Kansas, there are 10 out in western Texas, all through the Great Plains, they have these enormous uh, windmills. And I remember when I lived down in Texas uh, several years ago when these really started popping up all over the place, we would see the blades. You remember seeing the blades on the back of trucks and you're like, what in the world is that? Like, what is our government working on? It's like some sort of, or are they hauling a UFO from one place to another? You know, all this crazy stuff. But we're like, what is that? And then finally, I remember taking a trip out to West Texas and saw all of these and it dawned on me, that's what those were on the back of those flatbed trucks or those propellers. Uh, those blades of the propellers. And so, uh, sustainable power. And you'll go and you'll just see rows and rows, hundreds and hundreds of these things on acres and acres. And so it reminds us about sustainable power. Sustainable power. Also, when you look at power generators for different, um, for different types of electronic devices, power sources for different types of devices, um, if you'll look online and you'll research some of these, you'll see very quick, quickly when they're 
um, advertising their certain power source to go in a computer or some sort of an electronic device, that a lot of them will say, we have the highest level of continuous power, sustained power, not peak power. Because they'll say, this, this brand, our competitor, they have a peak power. It peaks as high as our power, but it doesn't sustain. Here's also the interesting thing. As we look at both of those uh, illustrations to illustrate the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is, is our spiritual, renewable source of energy. He is always there. He comes to dwell in the lives of believers. And he is always there for us to be filled by the Holy Spirit, of which we'll look at that uh, meaning and definition in the midst of our sermon series, or in the midst of this sermon today. But also, when we tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, who's always present in our lives, it is like that continuous power. Oftentimes, we only take advantage of peak power in our life because we have these peaks of spiritual high. But we have the Holy Spirit to give us sustainable power, continuous power. That's one of his jobs. That's one of his callings in our life. Let's pray. Lord, as we look today at Acts chapter 2 and we look at your Holy Spirit, who we know to not be a force, not to be some sort of a feeling, not to be just some sort of of an embodied power source alone, but he is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. I pray now that we would recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that comes to indwell all believers at the moment of their salvation. But Lord, would we also, throughout our Christian life, would we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit? Would we daily commit our lives to his leadership in our life and therefore experience that infilling, that daily filling of the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, we look again at this passage today, Acts chapter 2. We'll see a couple of things. First of all, we'll see that the Holy Spirit, He is indispensable. Get this, it'll pop up on the screen. You can write it down. The Holy Spirit is indispensable to the Christian life because, number one, He connects us to the body, the body of Christ. He empowers us for the mission, the mission that we talked about just a moment ago of making disciples, the scope of that being the entirety of the world. And he, so he empowers us for the mission, and he also paves the way, paves the way for that mission to make disciples. So he, he connects us to the body, empowers us for the mission, and he paves the way for the mission. Let's take a look here now, starting in verse 1 of Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, remember this word means 50. And so it was uh, 50 days after the Passover supper. And so f- roughly 50 days after Jesus Christ was crucified, and those, that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday period in which he was crucified, dead, buried, and he rose from the dead. So 50 days later in which during this time Jesus appeared to the disciples proving that he had arisen, he was exactly who he said he was, and he gave them the commission to go and make disciples, to tell everyone that he came to this earth to save them from their sins. He uses us. His plan A, no plan B. His plan A is us. And it says, and suddenly there came when all these disciples, when all the followers of Jesus were gathered in one place, it said suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Rested on each one of them. It signified that this gift of the Holy Spirit came to each believer. 
Not only does the Holy Spirit come to give us gifts collectively that we exercise within the body of Christ, but he also comes to us individually. We see again that confirmed in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that now the, the Holy Spirit, the holy temple of God is our body of whom the Holy Spirit resides within. And suddenly there came again a, from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. The tongues of fire were divided and they rested upon them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. If you remember your Old Testament history lesson of which we've given you from time to time, there was what it was known as the diaspora or the dispersion. The native Jews that were native to this area, Jerusalem, Judea, obviously this land that they know of Israel, were, dis were dispersed throughout the known world at the time over a couple of different major events. 722 B.C., the Assyrians came in, conquered uh, Israel, the northern tribes, and, and dispersed the people um, all over the known world. And of course, they continued to trickle out and move and just uh, move to different places as life led. Over those several hundred years, also 586 B.C., Babylon came in and conquered the southern tribes. And so, again, another dispersion. And so the people were dispersed from their land. Of course, there were obviously ethnic Jews that still remained in the land. But there were a large number of Jewish people that now were not only dispersed forcibly in those first two times, but over the intervening centuries just moved throughout the world on their own. And they were known as the diaspora. But they would take a spiritual pilgrimage and come back. For this, for this time, during this time of Pentecost. And so you would see people, you would see uh, those who are Jews by heritage and Jews by religion, but lived in all these different countries and had different uh, dialects, different languages, that now they were gathered together. So they were gathered together for common worship during Pentecost, but yet they still had different languages. So now all of these are gathered together. And they're dwelling in Jerusalem, these Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, a multitude came together. So that great, mighty, rushing wind came in. And, and, and it drew it as incredible wind. Something more as mighty as our winds are around here in Kansas. It had to be more than even that. Because it drew this crowd. People were like, what is going on? And they were gathered together bewildered. Because each one was hearing them speak. So the disciples started to speak. Speak in these tongues. Intelligible tongues. This isn't... Uh, this isn't an unintelligible language, but it is an actual intelligible language that we see. We see this affirmed throughout Scripture. And so each of these that were gathered together in this place, they heard them speaking in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished and saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So not only are they native to Judea, native to Israel, but these are the ones that aren't very educated. So they're saying, they're kind of ruling out in their mind that these were educated men and women who had traveled the world and had a great experience and maybe picked up these languages. They're saying, what's going on here? And how is it that we hear each, each of us here in our own language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, those who are native Jews and those who had converted to Judaism. Cretans and Arab and Arabians, we hear them telling our own, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So it wasn't that, again, they were just speaking an unintelligible language. They were speaking individual language, languages that these people who were gathered could hear. So I might be from a por portion of Mesopotamia, 
coming to this place and maybe not expecting to hear anyone speak in my own language. So maybe I had a knowledge of Greek, which was the trade language of the day, or maybe I had a knowledge of, of my uh, tongue of heritage, of Hebrew, and so maybe I could speak a little bit to get along. And then all of a sudden, I hear this incredible sound, this mighty rushing wind. I gather along with everybody else, and we're saying, did you hear that? Did you hear that? We gather here together, and now here are these uneducated and untrained men. We see this referred to again in a couple of chapters in Acts chapter 4. And these men who have not traveled their lives, these men and women who have not traveled the world through their lives, there's no way they picked up all these languages. They are speaking in a tongue that I understand. Not only that, but they're not only just speaking words that I understand, they're speaking a message that I understand. They're speaking about the mighty works of Yahweh, the one God of heaven. And so they're gathered together gathered together in this incredible place and this incredible miracle happened to draw this crowd to pave the way as we'll see in a few moments for the preaching of the gospel and all were amazed verse 12 and perplexed saying to one another what does this mean but others were mocking and said ah they're full of new wine we know it's more than that far more than that and we see in fact as we'll reference a little bit later in the sermon God calls us to not be filled with wine, but to be filled and controlled with the Holy Spirit. So the first thing that we see, the first point that we see here in verses 1 through 4, is that the Holy Spirit, he connects us to the body of Christ. I, on purpose, I purposely put he, he at the beginning of each one of these points, so that we remember and we know what the Bible affirms, that the Holy Spirit isn't just some nebulous force. It isn't just some sort of, new age idea of just some nebulous force that floats throughout the universe of which we can all kind of plug into but no the bible paints a very clear picture that this is the third person of the trinity we see a little bit later in the book of acts that ananias and sapphira originally in the portion in which they said they sinned against god it says they sinned against god and then it also says they sinned against the holy spirit so it knows that uh that there's an there's an equation of the two together we also see in Matthew chapter 28, I think one of the greatest affirmations of this, we're called to baptize those in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And other passages, at which we'll look at throughout the book of Acts and as we reference other places, see it clearly affirmed that the Holy Spirit isn't just some sort of nebulous force, but it is, He is a person. And He connects us, first of all, He connects us to the body of Christ. So again, we say this, day of Pentecost had come. They were gathered together. They were waiting for this promise that uh, Jesus had reaffirmed. Remember, the promise was given to them. Jesus reaffirmed this promise. He says, not too many days from now, this power will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This power came. He connects us to the body of Christ. We first of all seen that it came. Uh, he came as a mighty rushing wind. Mighty rushing wind. One of the great pictures of the Holy Spirit that we see in all of Scripture. Ezekiel chapter 37, do you remember the story of the dry bones? Ezekiel's led in a vision to this valley where there are dry bones and then the, the Spirit of God coming in the, in the picture of a wind comes and raises up this great army from these dry bones, this incredible power. We see the Holy Spirit active in the Old Testament. And also we see Jesus reaffirms this picture of the Holy Spirit in John 3.8. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes and from where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
Now he's using the, the wind as an illustration, but again it links us to this picture that we've seen all throughout Scripture itself. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is like a mighty wind. And we see this mighty wind again being an illustration of this power that was coming. It gathers this crowd. And then they began to speak with tongues. Tongues of fire rested upon them first. Tongues of fire. Fire itself being a picture of the divine presence of God. Probably the most famous of these places in all of Scripture was Exodus chapter 3. Where God came to Moses in a burning bush. Fire being a picture of the divine presence of God. And when the Holy Spirit came, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. There are several references throughout Scripture that refer to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is really what we see pictured here. So why is it that we see and will focus most of the time today on being filled with the Holy Spirit, the difference in those two things? But why do we see that language used here for the apostles? Why do we see that as the first coming, the first coming of the Holy Spirit on those who follow Jesus? Why do we see the language that they were filled with the Holy Spirit? When we look throughout the rest of the epistles, the rest of the letters uh, that make up the Old Testament or the New Testament rather, we see that the picture of the one time baptism of the Holy Spirit better pictures what we see here. Well, first of all, we have to remember throughout the book of Acts, it is a transitional book in the Bible. And so, yes, we can... We can draw out doctrine from the book of Acts. We can draw out uh, beliefs from the book of Acts. Undoubtedly, it is the word of God. But we all, always must reference other places in Scripture as well to, to, to shed light upon the book of Acts because it was clearly a transitional book. When we look at throughout the book of Acts, when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, as soon as we read one passage in the book of Acts, either related to baptism either related to the coming of the Holy Spirit, either related to baptism with the Holy Spirit, or related to tongues uh, as a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we come then to another passage of Scripture in which the order is different, or in which one of those elements are not present. And so when you map it out, you actually map it out and lay it out on a grid, you see throughout the book of Acts, when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, there is no set pattern that we see established like we see clearly established in some of the later epistles, the later letters. Why is this? Again, because this was a transitional period in the, in the life of the church. Transitional period in which, of course, the Holy Spirit first comes upon the Jews, those who are God's chosen people, those Jews who had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Later we see um, salvation from the Sumerians. And then later in the book of Acts we see the salvation of full-on Gentiles. And so it was a transitional book. And so we see if you try to kind of create doctrine from one instance in the book of Acts, you don't read much longer before you see another one in which the instance is a little bit different. So we have to look at the entirety of Scripture. But what can we learn from this? This picture is what we would know as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Even though they use the word filled, it's, quite, it's a little bit closer to what we would know um, as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Which relates to our point here. He connects us to the body. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is Jesus placing believers into his body by means of the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus placing us into his body connecting us with unity to the larger body of Christ 
by means of the Holy Spirit. This is the one-time act that happens at the moment of our salvation. Romans 8, 9 says, If anyone does not have the Spirit, he is not of him, he is not of me. If anyone does not have the Spirit, he is not of Jesus Christ. So that means there cannot be, logically, quite logically, there cannot be some intervening period in our life in which we can belong to Jesus Christ, but yet we do not have the Holy Spirit. So the act of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells our life at the moment of salvation. He takes up residence in our life. He he takes up residence in our body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he at that moment becomes the one who has worked uh, outside of our lives to convict us of our sin before we have known Christ as our Savior, to lead us to the place of conviction and, and lead us to the place of challenge in our life where we need to turn our lives over to Jesus Christ. He now works intimately in our lives, again, as the one who challenges us and convicts us of sin, but also as our guide, as our helper. He is the one who empowers us for ministry, as we'll see a little bit later. This baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is the one time in a person's life when they give their life to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells within them at the moment of salvation. So, we, we also see not only does he connect us to the body of Christ, not only does he connect us to the body of Christ, but he also empowers us for the mission that we've been given. He empowers us for the mission. This is what we know as being filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 says this, And they again were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Again, this is a transitional time in the, in, in the, in the book uh, in, in the life of the church that we see in the book of Acts. We also see something like Ephesians 5.18, where we are called, and do not be drunk with wine, don't be controlled with wine. I love how this just perfectly fits with what we see in the latter portion of this narrative, that those that were gathered heard the disciples speaking with other tongues. Some of them said, ah, they're just drunk with wine. Jesus later says, or Paul later says, don't be, don't be drunk with wine, don't be controlled with wine, don't let it control your life. But be filled with the Holy Spirit, in which is dis, or, but, but don't be filled with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The really interesting thing and really cool thing about this is when you actually look deeper into the original language, it comes out very awkwardly in English, but it puts extra emphasis on this phrase. Follow me, if you will. It says, be continually being filled. That's very awkward in English. Very wrong grammar, in fact, but that is the emphasis. Be continually being filled. It's the idea that in our lives, we are to always be uh, in the state of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you uh, like to to drag race and street race, or maybe you like to see it on TV. Maybe you've never uh, been able to actually uh, uh, convert, or maybe you've never been able to build a drag race car on your own, but maybe you've seen something on TV. Well, some of these newer style of, of, of street racing cars, and I'm going to wade real deep into the water here, and someone that actually knows something about this is going to call me on it and say I'm not right. But some of, this, some of the newer versions of some of the street racing cars, some of those that might have been featured in the movies like uh, Fast and the Furious, you might see they'll have a button inside their, uh, in, inside their car where they can hit the nitrous. They can hit the nitrous oxide, right? It's always there. It's waiting. They can hit that nitrous oxide. Now, here's the thing. The illustration, any illustration falls apart at some point. 
But we always have the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is always there. He is always there, present in our lives. And He is always wanting to empower us daily for the work of the mission. He always wants to empower us daily for the work of the mission. And so we see again, Paul says, be continually being filled. Be continually being filled. So someone will say, well, how then can you illustrate? It doesn't make sense to me how someone could be filled with the Holy Spirit, like a glass, can be filled with the Holy Spirit. If it's full, how can you be filled even more? Won't it overflow? Well, the illustration of a glass is probably not the best illustration to speak of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Illustrations, again, always fall and fail at some point. But maybe a better illustration would be a balloon. In which you could fill a balloon and blow up a balloon and technically it would be full. But you can blow into it and fill it even more. Fill it even more. Fill it even more. So we know when we receive the Holy Spirit, He in our lives, He comes in fullness in our lives. But we can be controlled continually. Or we can not be controlled continually by the Holy Spirit. In the same way that one might allow their lives to be controlled by, uh, by uh, alcohol or illegal drugs or something like that, maybe even prescription drugs. They can allow their lives to be controlled by it negatively. God tells us to positively allow yourselves to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So what do we gain? When we think about this, when we think about being filled with the Holy Spirit each day, daily, saying, I submit myself to the control of the Holy Spirit in my lives. What do we gain from this? Well, Ephesians 9, uh, 5, 19, and 20, the following verses after uh, Paul says to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it gives us these benefits. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So again, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit that you might speak to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart, giving thanks always for all the things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we gain from daily being filled with the Holy Spirit, renewed worship and joy and thanksgiving in our life? We were made as human beings to worship. We've said this before, we will worship something. We are, there is no such thing as a human that is a non-worshipper. A human worships something. Now either we can have joy and thanksgiving and satisfaction and hope and peace in life because we have our worship focused upon the one of whom we are supposed to focus on and that is God himself, that is the Lord Jesus Christ or we may focus our worship on something else. Maybe we focus our worship on, on our own prestige and our own our own just desire for selfish ambition. Or maybe we focus upon things of this world and we think we're going to find joy and thanksgiving in the things that the world has to offer. Either way, we were made to worship. When we worship the things of the world, we worship ourselves, we worship the Lord. In so doing, we'll have renewed joy and thanksgiving. Also, we see uh, Ephesians 5.21. We have renewed relationships. It tells us that we are called to submit to one another in the fear of God. You see, that is the key to relationships. We know that so much grief and so much trouble in life comes from difficult relationships. Someone is sideways with somebody else. Someone is pushing to get their own way and they're not thinking about someone else. Someone is trying with all of their might to look out for number one. 
uh, irregardless of how it affects someone else. But when we submit to one another, when we actually think about putting others first, that is when we begin to experience joy in life through renewed relationships of which God has created us. So not only that, but we have increased power for ministry. The mission which he has given us, he has called us to, to make disciples. When we daily rise from our bed and we say, God, uh, I'm going to, to dig into your word today. I'm going to join with you in prayer. I'm going to knit my heart together. And I'm going to yield to your Holy Spirit in my life. I'm going to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's there. He speaks to us. He tells us, he illuminates God's word. We know unless we deny it through sin, we know what God has called us to do. And you say, God, I'm going to yield to your Holy Spirit today. And when I face a decision in life, it may be that this decision is easier. It's the one that's more expedient. It's the one that kind of gains me a little bit more on the front end. But I know you've called me to this. I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's what being filled with. It is repeatedly being energized and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Repeatedly being energized and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And it is our job to yield ourselves daily. In so doing, we receive again increased power for, mission, for ministry. We know that the task that we've been called to make disciples is not one that we run into headlong without power. But we have all the power that we need from the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but it's an increased effectiveness of the use of our spiritual gifts. We know again in places like 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14... Uh, in other places uh, throughout Scripture, we see that we have been given spiritual gifts. When we come to know Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells in our lives and He gives us spiritual gifts that we may use to strengthen the body and to accomplish the mission of making disciples. So you may have been uh, given a, a gift of teaching or maybe a, give, a gift of hospitality, maybe a gift of caring for others. Maybe you have a gift of, 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 of prophecy or helps. Whatever it may be, we have been given those things within the midst of a body, a local body of Christ, that we use for ministry and to carry out the mission of making disciples. So be, not only does he connect us to the body of Christ, but he empowers us for the mission. Not only that, but he paves the way for the mission. You see, when we've been called to make disciples, God didn't leave us out there kind of twisting in the wind to kind of figure it out ourselves. He didn't drop us off on the end of the street, as I uh, used the illustration last week, with a, with a packet of magazines that we're supposed to sell and say, just go do it, figure it out. He gave us the mission to make disciples. He gave us clear instructions of how we're called to do it. He, he gave us the power to do it. The Holy Spirit, he comes, also paves the way. So we see here again in verses 5 through 13, the way that, he, that the Holy Spirit paved the way in this instance is that the mighty rushing wind came, the crowd was gathered, the people there heard these Galileans, these uneducated and untrained men come together and speak these languages of which they would have no other way to know them and to speak them outside of an empowerment, a mighty empowerment of God. And so the people were there. Their hearts were open. They said, there's something happening here. Something happening here. So we see that these, these tongues came as a sign to them, as a sign to unbelievers. Tongues themselves, we see, are a sign to unbelievers. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And it also is a picture of the fact 
that all of the nations of the world, we have now entered into a new covenant. We have entered into a new time period of God's redemption in which all of the nations of the world shall be welcomed in to God's church. So he paves the way, paves the way for the mission. So we know that in our day and age, in the year 2016, as you go out into your place of work or your neighborhood, wherever it may be, your mission field, the way in which the Holy Spirit may pave the way for you to work may not look the same as it did there in the first century. But we know that we are not twisting in the wind trying to figure it out on our own. If we arise from our bed, our proverbial bed that day, and we say, uh, Lord God, I am going to be filled with your Holy Spirit today. I'm going to allow my life to be controlled by him today. I'm going to listen to his guidance in my life. Lord, help me. Lead me into the path of someone who needs to hear the good news of the gospel. We know that God is going before us. The Holy Spirit is going before us to pave the way, to open those doors. He also, in the midst of paving the way, he also gives us the words to speak. You know, Peter is a very interesting character. We referenced him last week. We referenced him as well two weeks ago. Peter is a very interesting character. He was prone to shoot his mouth off. He was prone to just be, uh, to, to overreact to things. He was prone to just kind of shoot out and take off before thinking about it. And he was one that said when Jesus told him the night before his death, he said, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no, there's no way. There's no way it's going to happen. And sure enough, fast forward a few hours later, Peter denies him three times. And he starts to weep because he realized he's not only, uh, he, he's not only, has it come true, but he has denied his Lord. Then we, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, we said, what changed? What changed in this Peter who's standing there now preaching this sermon of which I'm going to read here in just a moment? What's changed? We said he saw the risen Lord and also the Holy Spirit came upon him and the other disciples to empower them for ministry. And as part of this, the Peter who, if he said anything, it was usually a harsh word, it was a short word, it was something that wasn't well thought out, he now stands here uh, amongst this gathered crowd, still maybe brimming with a little bit of hostility, only 50 days removed from the death of Christ, he stands there and preaches one of the most eloquent, powerful sermons in the history of the Christian church. I'm going to read you a section of it now. But Peter, standing with, his, with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, and he said, men of Judea and all those who dwell in Jerusalem. Remember, it's those who are, are natives of Jerusalem and those who have come in for, this, uh, come in for this, uh, this time. All those who gather in Jerusalem, let it be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Again, he's linking back. They're gathered because these are Jews by heritage and these are Jews by religion who have come here for the Feast of Pentecost, who have come here for this time. They're gathered, their hearts are open, they're celebrating their heritage. And he's saying, remember, this was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall be in these last days, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And they will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great 
and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in these last days of, in which we live, this church age, we see that these things will take place. We see that anyone can call upon the name of the Lord. He says, this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. And he continues. And he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. He says, you remember this Jesus, the one you crucified. In case you were wondering if he really was the son of God, God himself, the father, attested to him, attested of him that yes, he was exactly who he says he was because of mighty works and wonders that he worked. He says, this Jesus... You delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held. So the Holy Spirit not only paves the way, but he gives us the words to speak. Yes, we know that this was the Apostle Peter. But do you really think that God is going to call you as his child to go and spread this amazing news of the gospel and you think he's not going to empower you in the same way to, to speak the words that you need to speak? Now you think, I might not be an eloquent speaker. I might be one that clams up because I'm just so used to having conversations with people at work and neighbors at just this surfacey level. And so anytime I just kind of get below the surface and I kind of dive down into something with a little greater meaning to it, you know, I, I'm going to clam up and get nervous. But let me tell you, it is a promise not only here, but it is a promise throughout Scripture that God gives you the words. They may not tumble out of your mouth with incredible eloquence, but they will tumble out of your mouth with power. There's no doubt about it because it is the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the power that comes when we have the willingness, the willingness to ultimately do what Peter did. He ultimately will enable us to exalt and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, his sermon of which I gave you a section here, this section here wraps up with the fact that he exalted Jesus. He exalted Jesus. He said, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised him up. This is your Messiah. This was the Messiah of the world. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. How can you? Each and every day of your life you say, God, I wake up today. I know the, your Holy Spirit. I'm your child. I know your Holy Spirit dwells within me. I'm yielding myself, my decisions of life, my attitudes of life, my passions of life. I'm yielding it to the direction of the Holy Spirit today. And in so doing, you can daily be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will control you and energize you, energize you for the mission of which we've all been called. Folks, don't settle for that dull, don't settle for that dull Christian experience, that sort of semblance of a Christian life. I know as we're gathered today, many of you, just day in, day out, maybe just because of the cares of life, the difficulties of life, you will settle daily for just kind of that dull semblance of a Christian life. We are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yield yourself to him daily. Allow him to control your life and to make you the Christian servant you were meant to be for God. We can all experience that victory and that abundant life that Jesus promised us in John chapter 10. But it's a matter of obedience. Obedience and allowing the Holy Spirit of God to guide us, give us opportunities. And then we step forward 
and we step forward with action of obedience. Let him control your life today. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you this morning, we know that your Holy Spirit is often neglected in our lives. But we see very clearly it's not sort of some sort of magical fascination or magical mumbo-jumbo, but it's a very clear picture of the fact that there is a, uh, your, your Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, dwells in our lives, empowers us for ministry, gifts us for ministry, and we are called each and every day to yield His leadership in our lives. And in so doing, as we yield His leadership, He illuminates Your Word to us. He, he makes the Word come alive in our lives, and He makes clear guidance and direction. He helps us through life to make decisions that honor You and carry out Your mission. So God, may we be uh, ones who are willing and courageous to be filled with the Holy Spirit daily by yielding to him and allowing him to energize our life for ministry. In the name of Jesus, we do pray. Amen.